You're listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to heritagesc.org. A couple months ago, actually no, a couple years ago, remember Mervis? He was also from South Africa. He, he, he stayed with me and we were just kind of chilling. And he asked me this question. He says, Peter, if you had one last sermon to preach, what would it be? And I was like, wow, that's a pretty deep question. <laughs> um, and, you know, I started thinking about it and, you know, I, I don't forget what I said. But, you know, I asked, well, why do you ask that? He says, well, it's a good indication of what's in your heart. It's almost like, hey, if you were saying goodbye to your kids and you were dying, what would you say to your, to your kids, to your spouse, or maybe you're young and you were going to talk to your parents, like, what would you say? You know, questions like that. Have you ever thought about a question like that? Like, what would happen if, if something like that? Because, you know, a lot of times we do have questions that, are, that we face every day. Like, how many times a day do you hear someone say, hey, how are you? And um, I remember, I mean, that's kind of something we don't think about. A couple years ago, or a while ago, I had a German friend who's, who was living with me, and I went to the store, and he was uh, buying something, and the cashier looks at him and says, hey, how are you? And he kind of had this look, because, like, Germans aren't really good at uh, small talk. Uh, my dad's German, so I can pick on, pick on Germans for a little bit here. You know, and they're like, they, they're, they're, it's an exact science kind of language, and they don't, they're not really good with the chit-chat stuff. And he looked kind of strange, and he was really uncomfortable, and he was just, you know, trying to get away. And afterwards, he's like, he's like Peter, why did that lady want to know how I was? I don't even know her. <laughs> and I was like, well, she didn't really want to know how you're, you, know, you were. It's just something we say. You know, we don't really mean it. It's something you say. And, and there's a lot of questions that we get asked that are kind of meaningless, trivial. And then there's a lot of questions that, that are asked of us that kind of bug us. Like how many kids have heard your parents say, hey, can you clean your room? Or you get home after a long day and you hear your, your lovely spouse say, hey, honey, can you fix the blankety blank, <laughs> or can you rub my neck, or, you know, the, the parents would say, hey, did you finish your homework? You know, some of those questions that bug you, or, or how about the kind of questions when you're at work, those kinds that you dread, all of a sudden you're talking to someone and says, so, so, the, the person you're talking to says, can I speak to your manager? <laughs> or, or maybe you've heard this one, do you still love me? <laughs> or sometimes we ask God questions. Have you ever asked God this question, God? Why did this happen to me? Well, I have a question for all of you this morning. It's kind of the question of all questions, in my opinion. And it's actually not my question. It's a question that someone else asked many years ago. It's actually an ancient question that was asked over 2,000 years ago. And it's not just that it's an important question, but it's the person who asked this question that makes it even heavier because Jesus himself asked this question. In fact, Jesus was really, really good at asking questions. Um, and he would ask those kind of questions that would pierce someone's heart or soul and make you really think. But of all the questions that Jesus ever asked, I think this is the most important question he asked. And I'm going to ask each one of you that same question this morning. And that question comes from a dialogue Jesus had with some of his disciples 
uh, when they were in a little small group. It was in the book of Matthew, and it's found in Matthew chapter 16, starting in the 13th verse, and we can read it together. Uh, the, The words will be on the screen. So here we go. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is, or who do you say I am? And they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then in verse 15, he paused and he said, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied and he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So first, Jesus asked kind of a general question. He asked you actually asked two questions here. The first one was, who does everyone else think, think I, of me? Who do people say the Son of Man is? In other words, what does everyone else think of me? And that's kind of important. You know, hey, what do you think about Jesus? What does everybody think? And then... Just when they start like thinking and pontificating, Jesus gets personal, and I don't know if he did that, but it's almost like he would point his finger and touch everybody's chest, and then he'd say, what about you? Who do you say I am? And that's the question of all questions that I want to talk about this morning. Who do you think I am if Jesus was up here and asking you? And I want to rephrase this question, put it into modern English. I want to put it in the PIV version. I don't know if anybody heard of that version. What you're reading here is the NIV. The PIV is called the Peter International Version. It's my paraphrase, so this is in Scripture. But Matthew 16, 15, if, if, if I believe if Jesus was here today, he would, the question to be asked is, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? And that's not only an important question to ask yourself on Easter, because one day, I believe every single person here, every person who's ever breathed a breath, will be asked that question when you die before God. And I believe God will, there's, there's a day coming that the Bible calls that great day. When we all die, we stand before him, and I believe God will ask, who is Jesus to you. And he's not going to look around and say, what does everybody think of Jesus? Let's take a vote. No, it's going to be individual. He's going to ask every single person, who is Jesus for you? And he's going to look at me and he's going to go, Peter, who is Jesus to you? And I, bet, I, I, I think it's best to settle that question here and now rather than to go to eternity without answering that question. So, That is the question today. Who is Jesus to you? And for some of you, Jesus is your everything. You've been serving him. You gave your life to him many years ago, and it's the best thing you ever did. And for others, you know what? You know Jesus, but if you're honest, he's not a huge priority in your life right now. And there was days where you knew him a lot better then than you do now. And then for others... You know Jesus kind of like you know George Washington or Kobe Bryant (laughs) or some famous person. 
you know, it's just like you kind of know of him. Maybe you've read some stories. If there was a couple pictures up here, you'd think, oh, that's Jesus. You can point him out in the lineup, or at least what we think he looked like. And then for others, Jesus Christ is either a swear word or some guy who has a couple holidays named after him. But whatever you are, whatever spectrum you're at this morning, I want you to go away thinking about this question. Who is Jesus to you? And I think there's no better time to answer that question, to face that question, than on Easter Sunday. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to tell the story about Jesus to help you answer that question. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Easter, what it represents. It's such an amazing day because it represents the victory you have over sin, the victory you have over death, and because you rose from the dead, we have hope. And we love you, Jesus. We acknowledge you as our, as our Savior, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord, as I, as I speak, let it not be my words speaking, but I ask that you would use my words to prick the heart Lord, if there's anybody who can't answer that simple question, reveal what that means, the depth of what that means, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And the reason I'm asking this on Easter is because I think Easter is a good time to, to answer that question, but it depends on your focus of Easter. I mean, the world would say that Easter is about the Easter bunny, Easter eggs, family gatherings, I mean, which are kind of fun. But and then Christians say, well, we go to church because Jesus rose from the dead. And the real meaning of Easter is he rose again on the third day and he went to heaven and he lives, he sits at the right hand of God the Father. That's for Easter. So he is risen. He is risen. All right. But this, this Easter, I want to focus on that question. Who is Jesus to you? Um, so I want you to sit back and please simply, and let me tell the Easter story this morning for you to ponder. And actually, during our prayer time, someone was praying and they didn't know what I was preaching about, but they said something and I wrote it down and I want to quote it. It says, what you, God, Jesus, did on the cross is matched by nothing. You know, it's really true. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. He was, uh, his father was Joseph. His earthly father was a carpenter, and Jesus, Jesus grew up living in the northern province of Galilee. And we also know that Jesus had brothers and sisters after Jesus was born, born to Mary and Joseph. And from the time Jesus was 12 up until he was 30, there's actually no mention of what he did. It's kind of mysterious. But when he was 30, Jesus began his public ministry. And to sum it up, he began to teach the word of God and talk about the kingdom of God, which made the people call him rabbi or teacher. So oftentimes they would, he would walk by, if anybody had been watching The Chosen, you know, they would all refer to him as rabbi. If you haven't watched The Chosen, that's a great, great series. It's, it's amazing. It gives a really cool perspective of Jesus. But Jesus what, didn't just teach, but he taught as one who had authority. And, he, um, and the crowds marveled because his words were heavy and they had weight and they would cut to the heart. And not only that, unlike other rabbis, he raised, you know, Jesus did many works that, mirac that were miraculous. He healed sick bodies. In a few occasions, he actually raised dead people, people who had died, and, and he, he prayed and they came back to life. Deaf ears were opened, blind eyes could see, and people who were possessed by evil spirits were set free. 
And even lepers were cleansed. And back then, nobody touched lepers. And Jesus actually touched the lepers, and they were cleansed. And one of the last things he did when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, one of his disciples drew out a sword and cut off one of the, the, the guard's ears. And Jesus, as he's being led away to die, he touches the man's ear, and he heals him. So Jesus was a miracle worker. And not only that, but Jesus actually treated women different than the rabbis and the other religious leaders too. And those leaders, the normal rabbis, they wouldn't even speak to women. But Jesus treated women with kindness, with dignity. And then there was actually a group of women who traveled with Jesus and they supplied all him and the disciples with food, clothing, and their financial needs. And Jesus, because of this, became very popular and um, to the dismay of the religious leaders, because there was religious leaders, there was two groups, the Pharisees, who were legalists, and the Sadducees, who were more liberal and connected to the Roman government, because Israel at that time was part of the Roman Empire. And then they had a puppet king, whose name was King Herod, but Herod couldn't do anything unless Rome said, because of Roman law and the Roman army was ruling. So Jesus became very popular, and the religious leaders became really, really jealous of him. And they feared that if Jesus became more popular, that they would somehow take all the perks and you know, all the things that they enjoyed and all the respect, because he was actually the real deal, and he was revealing that these guys were phonies. So they plotted to kill Jesus. And it's interesting, I want you to think about this, the people who knew the Bible best or the scriptures best, 2,000 years ago, these guys knew the scriptures cold. Those were the people who plotted the death of the Son of God. Which shows you that, you know, it should make everyone pause and realize that just because you know a little bit about God or you can read some Bible or you know religion doesn't mean you necessarily know God. Isn't it interesting? And so they plotted to kill him, to kill Jesus, but they had a number of problems because the people loved him and the crowds were always around Jesus. So what they did is they bought off one of the disciples. His name, he was a traitor by the name of Judas and um, they bought him off with 30 pieces of silver and they said, hey, identify Jesus at a vulnerable time so we can get rid of him. So Jesus, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss and they rushed Jesus away to where the religious leaders were waiting with a kangaroo court where they were going to try him and try to kill him. So Jesus was arrested and all his disciples fled and there was no one, none of them, none of his friends were there to be found. And he was brought before the religious leaders, the high priests, and they questioned Jesus, but Jesus was totally calm. And they brought false witnesses trying to make all these false claims, but even the false witnesses weren't getting their story straight. Everybody was contradicting each other and it was just a mess. And they were getting frustrated. So, so finally they said, well, Jesus, tell us, are you the Son of God, the Messiah? And Jesus had been silent up until then, even though they were slapping him and ridiculing him. And Jesus replied to him and said, you're right, I am the I am, which was a reference to what, Moses, what God told Moses. And they knew immediately that he meant that he was the Son of God. And, and when that happened, they tore their clothes, they got upset, and they said, this is blasphemy, you deserve to die. So why didn't they just kill him then and there? Well, they didn't have that right. Only Rome could kill an individual back then. Only Rome could, could carry out capital punishment. So what they did is they hauled him over to the governor, Pontius Pilate, 
who had the authority. And they said, hey, Jesus is causing trouble. Jesus is not loyal to Rome. Jesus was against Caesar, trying to get Pilate all stirred up. But Pilate, at first, he was objective. And a couple things happened. First, he knew that these, tr- these charges were, were trumped up, that they weren't true. And he knew that they were basically jealous of Jesus. And he knew that they were really trying to get rid of Jesus. You know, Pilate knew that. He was a shrewd guy. Um, and on top of that, Pilate's wife, in the middle of all this, she came to him, she sent him a note, and she said, hey, don't have anything to do with Jesus. I had a dream about that guy, and he's innocent. I've suffered a great deal because of that dream. Isn't that interesting? And then, so Pilate was stuck. The, the, the mob was screaming at him. His wife was telling him something else. I mean, how many of you have ever been in a situation like that? But, but, you know, Pilate didn't know what to do, and he kept saying, you know, I don't see anything wrong with him. He is not worthy of death. This is some kind of religious issue. And then the crowd's like, no, no, crucify him, crucify him. And then so he found, finds out Jesus is from Galilee, and it so happens that the ruler of Galilee was King Herod, and K- King Herod happened to be in Jerusalem. So he's like, you know what? Hey, I'm going to make this someone else's problem, so go see King Herod. So they hauled Jesus off to see King Herod, and immediately King Herod started mocking Jesus and saying, hey, let me see a miracle. I heard you're a miracle, like almost like some kind of trick. Like, do a miracle quickly, you know, for me and my friends. And strangely, Jesus wouldn't talk to Herod at all. Isn't that interesting? And so I, I've, I've, I read up and I was like, well, why didn't, why didn't Jesus say anything? I mean, if, if someone's accusing me of stuff, you know, I'm going to speak up. I'm going to try to defend myself. But Jesus didn't. Well, one of, one of the, the, the ideas was Herod was a mocker. And Jesus never spoke to mockers. Isn't that interesting? And you know what? Jesus actually gave Herod the silent treatment. And that's not a good sign if Jesus won't talk to you. (laughs) You know you're in trouble. And I think there was somewhere in Scripture that said Herod had a terrible death. You know, this was, I don't know how long after that was. But anyway, so Herod was the one. He killed John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus. And he mocked him by asking him to do a miracle. And then when that didn't work, Herod basically had him blindfolded, and they started to beat Jesus up. And most of the early blows were around Jesus' head. Can you imagine? Like, I mean, one thing is getting in a fight. You know, you can see a punch coming. Imagine being blindfolded and and stuff is just coming after you. And, you know, it says they took staffs and were hitting Jesus. And these were big, rugged, full-grown men, almost like baseball bats, taking swings at a blindfolded man. Terrible. But Jesus took it and never opened his mouth. And they sent him back to Pilate, and he didn't know what to do. Pilate just wanted to get rid of him. It was this huge problem on his desk. You ever have a problem on your desk, and you just want to get rid of it? That's a no-win situation. And so now he was stuck because the crowd was gathering around him and crying and saying, crucify him, crucify him. And it was this mob mentality. But the Bible says that Pilate started to give in to the crowd. You know, peer pressure can be a powerful thing. And a lot of people compromise their faith even today because we are afraid of the reaction of people. But the plot thickened and the crowd got louder. So finally, uh, Pilate had one more trick up his sleeve. 
back then, they, uh, during the Passover, what, the, um, what Pilate, he had this power to basically release a prisoner to, uh, to satisfy them during Passover. So he's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up Jesus' name or this really scumbag guy, and of course they're going to let Jesus go and problem solve. So, so Pilate said, hey, he can release Jesus or a guy named Barabbas. And Barabbas was a revolutionary, and he'd killed a lot of people. He was a terrorist. It's almost like, okay, we're going to give you either Jesus to release or, or Saddam Hussein, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it was that kind of choice. But to his surprise, they said, no, release Barabbas. We want Jesus dead. And he must have thought to himself, what are you guys doing? So finally, Pilate got a basin of water and cleaned his hands as if water could actually clean his guilt. And then he said, let his, Jesus' blood be on your head to the crowd and the religious leaders. And they responded by saying something very scary. He says, yes, let his blood be on us and on our children. The crowd got what they asked for. And it's an interesting thought. When you don't get Jesus and you reject Jesus, you get a Barabbas in your life. That will cause havoc sooner or later. From that point on, the physical part of the beating of Jesus started. The Roman soldiers started to hit Jesus again. And these Roman soldiers were no Boy Scouts. These guys specialized in cruelty. And they perfected crucifixion, which was developed hundreds of years before in Assyria. And the purpose of crucifixion was to deter crime. It was a form of public humiliation, punishment, and a warning not to mess with Rome. And the purpose was sent to send a specific terrifying message to the people that if you mess with us, if you violate the law, you'll die slow, you'll die public, you'll die in agony. And most of the time, these guys were naked. They were on the cross completely naked. I know in our, you know, in churches where they have images of the cross and Jesus on the cross, they're always clothed, but that, that probably wasn't the case. And sometimes whole rows were littered with crosses. They would, they would crucify a lot of people at once. But that day, there was only three of them, including Jesus. But before that, Jesus was flogged, which means he was whipped with a whip, and on the end of the whip, they had little metal balls in there that would just destroy the flesh. And many of the, the criminals never made it through the flogging part because sometimes they would hit a vein and the guys would just bleed out before they got to the cross. And then they put a crown on Jesus' head and took him away. And Jesus must have been so weakened that he couldn't carry his cross. So they got a man named Simon from Serene. He was an African man. And he went, he, they, they made him carry Jesus' cross. And we don't know if he was a follower of Jesus at the time, but church tradition seems to indicate that he became a believer after carrying the cross of Christ and a prominent leader in the church from then on. While he walked to the cross, people spat on him. They took shots at him. Nobody was protecting Jesus. And then Jesus arrived and they nailed his hands and his feet on the cross. That would keep him, be, keep him steady on the cross so he wouldn't slip off. And then they stood him up and it was nine in the morning. This was an all-night ordeal. Everything I talked to now was all night. So it's nine o'clock in the morning, he's nailed to the cross. And then there was two criminals on both sides. And a couple of things to note. Most likely, Jesus, as well as the two criminals, 
were naked on the cross. And Jesus' mother was in the audience. Isn't that the most humiliating thing? One final thing. I mean, they trumped up all these charges. They beat him up, and they stand a man up there naked just to humiliate him. And another thing to note is the aloneness of Jesus. You know, a week before Jesus came in and people were laying palm branches saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And remember, he healed so many people. He blessed babies when parents offered him to do it. He, he preached to the crowds. He fed 5,000 and 4,000, but no one was there. They didn't mind getting a blessing, but to stay with Jesus and being loyal to Jesus was another story. So the religious leaders are mocking Jesus with cynical sneering and horrible words, and they're saying he saved others, but he can't save himself. And they said, save yourself. Come down right now, and if you're the son of God, and then we'll believe in you. They continue the mockery. And the Roman soldiers, they probably could have cared less. You know, for them, it was just another crucifixion. If you crucify one guy, 10, 50, 100, what's the difference? You know, they had their orders, so um, they just hoisted the guy up and waited for him to die. And Jesus lasted six hours on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And that was quick, actually, for, for crucifixions. Some people lasted for days. In fact, when they told Pilate he was dead, Pilate's like, are you sure? He didn't believe him. He's like, he wanted to him to go and, and check. And he's like, yes, he's dead. And not only was Jesus rejected by everyone, but he was also abandoned by God himself. And this is an essential part of the gospel of Jesus. This is an essential part of the salvation message. Even God rejected Jesus on the cross. When he hung on the cross, Jesus took the entire sins of the world at that moment. And God had to turn away his own father. And, you know, I don't, I mean... So to make it personal, he took all of my sins, the sins of Peter Klaus on the cross. And let's just focus on that. I won't think about your guys' sins for now. You know, everything I ever did, every sin I ever committed, every sin I ever thought about, anything I said, any way I acted, even when no one was looking, all those sins were on Jesus at that time. And all the guilt that I suffered, that we suffer as a result of our sins, was on Jesus. And then stretching out to all of you and to the whole world, every curse, anytime anybody ever cursed, that sin was on Jesus. Every sexual immorality that, any, that anybody's ever committed in any form was on Jesus at that moment. Every murder, every rape, every lie... Everything of everything was on Jesus on the cross at that moment. And we don't know exactly how that happened. It's, it's a mystery. But Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb in the Old Testament. Where God says that you must shed the innocent blood of an animal to cover the sins of the people. Now God said no more killing of, of lambs, but I'm sending my son and he will be the Lamb of God. 
And he will take all my punishment, all my sins, all my guilt, and he will be the ultimate sacrifice so that we could stand before Jesus one day. And we don't know how that happened, but we know that his blood was shed and it washes away every sin that we ever committed or will commit. And no matter how many times you've sinned and committed that sin, just one drop of the precious blood of Jesus will wipe away your guilt and make you right before God and be forgiven. Amen? <laughs> and you wonder why we get all excited when we worship and we pray. You know, maybe some of you are visiting and like, why is everybody kind of getting into it? Why is that guy in the back yelling? And, and you know what? Well, hey, if you knew us before, if you knew some of the stuff we talked, if you knew some of the stuff we did, you'd be shouting too. Amen. Thank you. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin, a sin offering for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Amen. You know, and I'm a business guy and I like good deals. I mean, this is the best deal you ever, ever could have. Amen? <laughs> so all the sin, all the rejection, all the price for everything that I did, for everything that you did, for everything that everybody did was on Jesus at that moment. Exactly, I know. I mean... As I'm preparing this message, I'm like, I'm so sorry, Lord, for putting you on the cross. On Friday, when, when we had the, the presentation of some of the scenes from Passion of the Christ, and I see them just brutally beating up Jesus, I was like, I'm so sorry, Lord. My sin did that to you. I'm sorry, Lord. And that's why Jesus cried out at that moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that should have been our cry God, why did you forsake me? But we don't have to say that because he took that for us. Amen. And when Jesus cried out, he was truly alone. His disciples were gone. All the people in his ministry over the years he touched were gone. Not even God. I mean, he was even separated from God at that moment. And the only ones there were his religious enemies and the crowd they could care less Yet in the midst of it, I want to point something out. We find tenderness and love. As you read the account in all the Gospels, you'll find out that as they hoisted Jesus up on the cross, the two criminals on both sides, they started mocking Jesus too. Maybe they just got all caught up in the crowds and they're like, yeah, who's this dude? And makes, makes himself look a little better. And even those two guys rejected Jesus, everyone. And then in the middle of it all, Jesus says something amazing. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You know what? When people start punching me, I want to punch back. That's human nature. But God is so good. He's so loving. He's so merciful that he loves us and he's willing to do everything to bring you close to him to save you. And maybe it was that. Maybe it was when one of those criminals heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. Maybe it was that that, that really triggered something. Because at the beginning, both of them were mocking. But then after that happened, something happened that's unexplainable. Jesus was carrying all the guilt of the world. All the guilt, all your guilt, every guilt. 
And in the midst of this, one of his criminals heard him, you know, as they were mocking at Jesus. And the other guy's like, hey, Jesus, if you're who you say you are, get us out of here. We all can get out of here, you know? And then out of nowhere, something happened. In the midst of the suffering, one of the criminals says, stop it, to the other guy. He says, we belong here. Can't you see, but that guy's innocent. Can't you see just the way he prayed? We deserve here, but he doesn't. And then an astonishing thing happened. In one moment, that rotten, dirty scoundrel, one of the criminals, his destiny changed in a, in a moment. How could that have happened? And then he turned to Jesus and he asked Jesus, Lord, will you remember me when you go into your kingdom? The, the, so, so a little bit ago, he was cursing Jesus. He heard Jesus for, ask the Lord to forgive everybody and then he had a change of heart. And somehow he had a revelation and he realized that Jesus was a king because he said, will you bring me into your kingdom and a kingdom has a king. And if the guy is being crucified and dying a criminal's death on a cross, where do you come off calling the guy next to you a king? Somehow that criminal discerned that Jesus was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Somehow that man knew that Jesus was a savior, it was innocent. Somehow that man knew Jesus was God. At that point, Jesus hadn't even resurrected from the dead. They didn't see the risen Jesus, but this criminal saw him and discerned that he was the Son of God, the promised Messiah. And in a sense, this criminal answered that all-important question. Jesus, who, you know, the one I'm asking you today is, who do you say Jesus is? And he called him a king. And remember when Matthew was, was uh, dialoguing with Jesus, back to our, our core scripture? And Jesus says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus replied, hey, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Amen. So even on Golgotha, those three criminals... One of them had a revelation from the Father that Jesus was the Savior. And it's interesting to note what Jesus said and what he didn't say to the thief. Jesus didn't say, well, if you do this, if you repent, if you say you're sorry, if you say I'm great, or if you get down and get baptized, or you quote a scripture, you'll join me in paradise. No, Jesus simply said, today you will be with me in paradise. His destiny was changed. In an instant, his eternal destiny was changed. And we don't know what bad stuff that put that guy on the cross, but he probably was a really bad guy. He was the kind of guy who was like, if he was your neighbor, you'd be calling the cops on all the time. You wouldn't let him date your daughter. <laughs> you know, he was a bad guy. He even said, you know, we deserve to be here. But in an instant, he was saved because he put his faith in Jesus. And Jesus was essentially saying to this man, you are no longer a criminal. You are a new creation. You are a holy priest. You deserve heaven, not because of what you did. That guy couldn't do anything for the last moments of his life. All he could do was believe in Jesus. Because of the work on the cross, and because of that, he said, today you will be with me in paradise.
That's the power of believing in Jesus. That's the power of answering that all-important question. Who is Jesus correctly? He realized that Jesus is the spotless Lamb of God and that by believing in him, he would be seen as righteous through the eyes of God. And there was nothing that man ever did to warrant salvation, but God's grace to save him was enough. Look at the power that there is in Jesus. How did this happen to this man? First, he said, I'm wrong. I'm a, I, I deserve to be here, but you don't. And next, he said that Jesus was innocent. And then he asked Jesus, Jesus, he asked Jesus a question. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Nine words, a request, a plea. That was all he did. He asked the question with nine words. And with that one sentence, those nine words, this guy's destiny is changed. You know, I believe in Jesus, and one day when I die, I'm going to heaven, and I want to meet this guy. He's going to, you know, and he's, I want him to show me around, because he's been there probably 2,000 years. <laughs> he was with Jesus when Jesus died in paradise. And he's with Peter, James, and John, and the entire heavenly host. Even before uh, his resurrection, Jesus had a convert. <laughs> Is salvation really that easy? Well, yes and no. Yes, it says if you believe in Jesus, declare him to be your Lord, you could be saved. But no, it cost Jesus his life and the sins of the world were on him. But even with the worst of people, when you call on Jesus, he will never turn away from a humble, repentant heart who asks God for mercy. Amen. That's worth a clap. So I want to ask you that question, who is Jesus to you? And one day you will stand before God, and that question will be asked. And that day, the Bible says when the books are open, there will be some people who will try to run to caves or hide under rocks to escape the wrath of God. But without Jesus, there will be no hiding or escaping from his wrath. But today there is no wrath. There's only mercy. And that mercy is available to you today if you believe in him, if you will surrender your life to him. So whatever your mess is, and we all have messes, I think most of our messes, we package them, they look a lot nicer than the messes of those naked guys on the cross that everybody knew was bad. But we all have messes. The Bible says, nobody is good, no, not one. And the Lord wants to give you a different destiny. He can give you so much more than you deserve. He can give you so much more than religion. You can have Jesus in your life. And the thief, of, the thief on the cross is such a wonderful example that there is no pit so deep where God's love for you is not deeper still. And I don't care how many times you've messed up. I don't care what kind of shame you have today. Jesus can lift it. He can give you a different future. He's offering you salvation this morning. Freedom from your shame, a new life, a new beginning. You simply have to say, Jesus, I believe in you. And you'll be saved. And maybe when you leave, you'll get hit by a car and you'll be with Jesus today in paradise too. Hopefully not. <laughs> We're trying to grow the church, not that way. <laughs> but the thief on the cross had no good works. 
nothing. Just belief in a Savior who loved him, who did everything possible to save you. And as much as Jesus loved that thief on the cross, he loves you too. Salvation is not earned. It's a free gift. And he's offering it to you this morning. So as the worship team comes up, I want you to bow your heads and I want to pray. And I want to ask you that same question. Who is Jesus to you? So just bow your heads, close your eyes. Maybe the Lord spoke to you this morning. You know, use my words, some scriptures. But this story is the story. Anybody could have told this story because it's true. That's why we're here. That's why the whole world celebrates Easter. Because Jesus rose from the dead. So let me pray. Holy Spirit, Lord, when on the day of Pentecost you came and you're leading your church and you're in us, many of us. And Lord, we ask that one of your jobs is to convict us of our sins, to show us the way. And Lord, for those of you who, Lord, who don't know you as their personal Savior, who don't know you as the King, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, I just ask, Lord, they would feel, Lord, you pounding on their heart this morning because you love them. And Lord, 2,000 years ago when you were on the cross, you saw all the sins that they committed Even this morning, sins that were done. And you took those sins and you separated and you were separated from God. So we don't have to be separated from God. You gave us a way. And I thank you for that. And I I just want to give you an invitation. If you want to say, you know what? I want to believe in Jesus. I want to him to be my king. I surrender my life to you. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a minute. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and by raising your hand, you're going to say, yes, Jesus, remember me. Here I am. I believe. And you know what? God will come. He'll teach you what to do. You know, the church will come beside you. We'll love you. We'll try to disciple you as best we can. We'll show you what the Bible says. But all of that will come after you have this relationship, this born-again salvation experience that the Lord is offering you this morning. Who is Jesus to you? So if that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a sec. But if if you want to say yes to Jesus as as the eyes are closed and the heads are bowed, I want this to be a private moment between you and Jesus. Because he's inviting you here. He brought you here this morning. You might have said, well, it was my wife, or it was my neighbor, or I was bored, I was driving by, or whatever. Or I grew up here. But I believe it was Jesus who brought you here this morning. doesn't matter who's on your left, who's on your right, who's in front of you or behind you. I just want you to glow in the, 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 the heavenly glow that the Lord is offering you right now. And he's saying, who do you say I am? Who is Jesus to you? And if you say that I want to believe in him, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now. 
And if you want to accept Jesus, just raise your hand right now and I'll pray for you. Amen, I see those hands. Amen. 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 Thank you. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And I want to lead you in a prayer. If you want to re, either rededicate your life to the Lord or you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, I want you, all of us, to repeat this prayer. Just invite Jesus in your heart. Can you do that? Say, dear God, thank you for loving me. Forgive me of my sins. And I want to come into your kingdom. I give you my life today. I put my trust in you. Change me from the inside out. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for eternal life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening. We hope you tune in next week. For more information, go to heritagesc.org. dot o r g.